Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and today is the day that will always live in infamy. And think about this for just a second. Today, of course, is December 7th. It is the 82nd anniversary of the attacks on Pearl Harbor. And this hour, we're dedicating to the attacks. And, of course, we've got National Crawford Roundtable podcast coming up um, at the top of hour number two of today's program, and we'll be getting into that there as well. But think about that, 82 years there, there are very few people alive today, right now, who um, were here on December seventh, nineteen forty-one. Of course, we lost over three thousand Americans at the uh, uh, the station, the the station at uh, Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, which was at that time U.S. territory. Didn't become a state for eighteen years later. But think about the memories that we do have or don't have as the case may be, about Pearl Harbor, the attack on Pearl Harbor and what it did to the American psyche. Remember all the people, it was a Sunday morning. Most of America was getting ready for church. Um, you know, the news of the attack spread pretty quickly. And um, then, of course, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, President of the United States at that time, making the now infamous speech on the next day, December 8th, 1941, um, where he, you know, famously started out by saying, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, everyone else knows the next line. And this is why good writing and good presentation and good speaking is so important. He said, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date that will live in infamy. The U.S. was attacked, attacked by Japanese at Pearl Harbor. And of course, the U.S. had not wanted to get into World War II. World War II actually kicked off September 1st, 1939. For a couple of years, they stayed out of it. But then the U.S. got involved. And remember that World War II went on for four more years. Excuse me. Five, well, four more. Yeah, it was done by 45. I mean, this was a six-year world war. And at a time when people had shorter life expectancies, and you were going to live to your 50s, maybe your 60s. I mean, for some people, they spent a tenth of their lives in World War II. I mean, it was, it's amazing to think about what that happened. And then, of course, there's the big issue. What if we had been able to prepare better? And there's always those folks who are saying, you know, did we know? There's more and more reports that have come out recently about um, World War II, about the attack on Pearl Harbor, about what the U.S. knew, what the U.S. didn't know. And it's interesting to hear how sometimes there are surprise attacks that happen and they are totally a surprise. And then other times there are surprise attacks that happen that aren't necessarily total surprises, but rather the surprising thing is that this is what happened at all. The U.S. had intel that the Japanese might attack a place like Pearl Harbor. The, at that point, the United States had not officially declared that they would be involved in the war. Apparently, Japan tried to goad them into it, but and they were successful, <laughs> to, to, not to say the least. But what if there was, you know, some kind of tangible proof that the U.S. could have potentially thwarted the attack on Pearl Harbor and um, avoided being in World War II altogether? How would that change world history? Think about that for a moment. The fact that the U.S. basically got into World War II. Uh, ostensibly to uh, stave off any sort of forward motion from Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. But at some point, they had a score to settle with Japan and did so at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's interesting to see how U.S.-Japanese relations have kind of repaired over the last 82 years. Remember, in the 1990s, there was that big push for Japanese investors to come in and buy up U.S. Uh, real estate. Uh, look at the leading car manufacturers who sell in the United States, Toyota way up there, Honda, uh, uh, Nissan. I mean, these Japanese brands that do very, very well. And of course, Japanese technology does really well as well. But that was after the Japanese attack, after the U.S. obliterated Japan with a couple of hydrogen bombs. And there was kind of a, okay, now that we got your attention, let's get you back in. Now, what's interesting about this, looking back on 82 years, and perhaps you've seen a film like Tora, Tora, Tora or Midway or something like that, you know, where, where they're, they're, you've got these battle scenes that talk about that era and why it's so important. Um, interesting to see that there's a parallel happening right now in the Middle East to what happened with the attacks by the Japanese on Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. 
And it's interesting today, I want to take a little bit of a look at it before we get into a little bit more of the dust and bolts of the attack of Pearl Harbor and why it is that so many in the United States are still kind of stunned that that actually happened, that the Japanese could pull this off. Well, if you thought that was interesting enough, it's not like it's unprecedented. And a shocking new report from the New York Times, the Epic Times, and a variety of other different publications um, is well worth our paying attention to today of all days. Headline that came out last Friday from the New York Times indicated, actually it came out late Thursday, that um, the Iranian, excuse me, the Israeli uh, attack that was carried out on October 7th of this year by the terrorist group Hamas, ostensibly the Palestinian government. Um, we know, just for a refresher course, that Prime Minister Ariel Sharon ceded what we now call the Gaza or Gaza Strip, Gaza region, Gaza region, Gaza Strip, to the Palestinian contingent back in 2005. Israel, complete withdrawal, not a surrender, but just a withdrawal saying, fine, we will give you this land. If this will help us get a two-state solution going, take it. And so they were going to have democratic elections. Israel is a democracy. Palestine or the Palestinians said, we want to be a democracy too. But when you say you want to be a democracy, that's one thing. But if you wind up electing the government of Argentina or Venezuela or Turkey, Egypt, you get get the idea. Those places call themselves democracies, but they're not. And what happened to the Palestinians is in 2006, they elected a group of leaders, quote unquote, elected them, that were all part of Hamas, which is a terror group. So for, for the past 20 years, there has not really been a democratically elected government in the Palestinian region of Gaza. And Hamas has been running things. And Hamas is a terrorist group. What we saw on October 7th is Hamas terror group taking over you know, key military bases in Israeli cities uh, back on that October 7th attack. But what left people just shaking shaking their heads, shaking their boots, whatever you want to say, is the fact that here was Israel, who has one of the most sophisticated intelligence systems in the world, caught flat-footed by 1,500 Hamas fighters who came out of Gaza and poured across the border into Israel. They wound up killing 1,200 Israelis, held several hundred hostage. We've seen We've seen the aftermath of what they were working on over the past couple of weeks as more hostages are being released and they're talking about the horrible conditions they had to endure and, and it's terrible. But this report from the New York Times, I find fascinating and the parallels to December 7, 1941 with October 7, 2023 are eerie. A 40-page document was obtained by Israeli officials that described a Hamas battle plan And it's interesting because it's the exact same plan that they carried out. Israel had that 40-page document in its possession over a year ago. But once Israeli military officials got the plan, the 40-page document, literally something that's outlined point by point, the, the, the document that Israeli authorities codenamed Jericho Wall It detailed an assault that would overwhelm fortifications around the Gaza Strip, would take over Israeli cities and target key military bases. And basically, it was followed with precision and to a T on October 7th, 2022, or 23, rather. On that day, basically, the Hamas militants conducted a coordinated assault. It was the single deadliest day assault on Israel since the new Israel was reinstated by the United Nations in May, was it May 14th, 1948? I mean, they were calling it Israel's 9-11. It was that devastating. And the body count just keep piling up. Um, seeing it from uh, Hamas-sensitive uh, publications, media outlets and whatnot, of course, the the Israelis are the aggressors. And so, you know, we, we, we have, uh, you know, tens of thousands of people who've been slaughtered by the Israelis and a couple hundred Israelis were killed. Look at the Israeli publications and they'll tell you that the death toll is far more skewed in the other direction and that Hamas are using women and children in schools and hospitals as their kind of shields and safe landing places. 
But it's very interesting to see the number of security officials in Israel coming forward to take responsibility for some of the blame that's going on here. But when you look at this documentation, this 40-page page, it didn't have a date on it per se, but Israeli officials had this thing and they didn't do anything with it. And you have to ask the question, why not? And the answer is, quite frankly, they didn't think it would work. They didn't think Hamas had the chops to go through with it. They didn't think that they had the weaponry, that the manpower was that bold. How are 1,500 people going to overtake a nation of 6 million? They just didn't see it. Or they didn't want to see it. But in the same way that the United States of America got caught napping, basically, with a... uh, the sleeping giant of the United States not paying attention to a Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Instead, what we see is, well, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. It woke the sleeping giant as the, remember the tail end of the movie, Tora, 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 Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. Um, that was if we have awakened a sleeping giant and the U.S. just really took it to Japan and Hitler and everybody else for the next four years. Is it possible then that Israel's 9-11 could have been prevented? The answer appears to be yes. And I'll be curious to see what kind of lessons are learned and what happens as this uh, situation continues to unfold. But we do have the promise of Zechariah chapter 12. We do have the promise of knowing that Jerusalem is right in the centerpiece, the apple of God's eye. This is where Jesus will in fact return to rule and reign for a thousand years. And you know what this means? It means for us in the body of Christ, keep your eyes on the Middle East. Keep your eyes on Israel. Keep your eyes on Jerusalem. And keep them in your prayers as well. Now, I mentioned the uh, the Torah, 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 and the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, there's a fascinating story behind this. There's an incredible guy who actually is... Um, one of the uh, lesser-known members of society in history, Matsuo Fuchida, the Japanese pilot who actually led the attack on Pearl Harbor. His story has been chronicled in a new book called Wounded Tiger, the transformational true story of the Japanese pilot who led the Pearl Harbor attack. It's what's described by some people as a nonfiction novel, Reads like a novel, but it's actually based on real fact. And the man behind it, a guy called T. Martin Bennett, has been chasing after this story for the past 20 years in hopes of getting it made into a movie. And while putting together the movie, screenplay, shopping around in Hollywood, he actually wound up... He actually wound up writing this book that's a labor of love for him, but it will tell you so much about what happened behind the scenes, what led to uh, Mitsui Fushido's attack, leading the brigade against the United States, and what happened to him in the years after the attack. Because remember, they're going in and bombing and flying away. It's not like it was a suicide suicide kamikaze mission. T. Martin Bennett's going to join me on the other side of this break to talk about the wounded tiger and the transformational story of the Japanese pilot who led the attack on Pearl Harbor. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. 
Well, today here on The Bottom Line Show, we're going to get into a powerful story. I love to get the story behind the story, especially as it pertains to something that had such a huge impact on our lives. And of course, December 7th, 1941 will always be that day that lived in infamy. And we remember the attack on Pearl Harbor. What that did for us as Americans, of course, what it kind of did for us in the body of Christ. But have you ever wondered who was behind the attack? Well, today we're going to get into a brand new uh, book. Actually, it's a newer updated version of a, a book, I believe, that uh, had a, a different life uh, with a, a slightly different title a few years back. And it's the true story of tragedy, transformation, and triumph, and a guy that you may not have heard about, but after you have this conversation and hear this conversation, you're going to appreciate it. Martin Bennett has written this book called Wounded Tiger. And we're going to take a look at the guy who was the, the pilot, the true story of the Japanese pilot who led the attack on Pearl Harbor in World War II. Uh, Martin Bennett, welcome to the Bottom Line Show today. Roger, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to have you not only here on our radio broadcast and podcast, but also for those who are watching on My Hope Now, get a chance to see the uh, uh, the Zoom here. And I, I, we were talking about this before we started our uh, broadcast here, Martin, but you're wearing a, a very specific hat. And I want to use that as kind of an intro because I'm always into baseball caps, but this has a logo I'm not familiar with. So describe for the for the audio audience that what people are seeing on My Hope Now right now with your hat. So I've got a hat and embroidered is a, is a red symbol that says samurai in the Japanese language. And I love the concept of the samurai because they live by what was referred to as the Bushido Code. You can look that up in Wikipedia. There's about eight principles, but one of them was that you could not serve your Lord or your master until and unless you had given up your life as dead, then you could serve. And I thought, wow, this is almost exactly what Paul was saying. So there's a lot of godly principles that they lived by, but they didn't know the God behind those principles. So I thought it was a great connection and segue into yeah. Japanese culture. So that's why I had the hat. How did you get into this story? Because let's face it, we know, I mean, I would remember as a kid, we saw Torah, 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 you know, we, we've we we've read about, you know, kind of the American side of it and even some of the faith-based side and the retaliation of the United States. But how much airtime does the Japanese pilot who led the attack actually get? This is the first time hearing of this guy. Well, yeah, it is, you know, the story of Wounded Tiger and this guy Mitsuo Fuchida and two other plot lines that feed into the story is an unknown, unheard story that, I mean, I'm like you, I love war stories, I love history, I love redemption stories. I never heard one single word about this guy ever. So hmm. what led me to it is, first of all, I like uh, biographies, I, I like true stories, I've always gravitated towards those. I'd already written a feature-length screenplay on the life of John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, the most recorded song in history. And his life story is, is really astounding, and I'm very committed to bringing that to the screen. So when I stumbled across this story of Fuchida, I had very low expectations. I, I, it, you know, I found an out-of-print book from a defunct publisher. I bought kind of for the fun of it. But as I started going through this, I thought, golly, this is unbelievable. How is it we don't all know this story? So I really felt the Lord lead me to just go ahead and get the film script done. So I spent several years in research. And the more I dug down, Roger, the, the better it got. It's like one unbelievable thing after another. Of like, golly, this is just, this is an unbelievable story. And I felt it would be a very cinematic, very compelling to a broad audience. So after I got the screenplay done, I got it to investors, and the good news was they're super interested. The bad news was that uh, they're all secular, and if I signed a contract on an option, uh, they could do whatever they want. Jesus could turn into higher power, put in a sex scene, put in, you know, mm. whatever they want. I, I couldn't, I thought, you know what, I, I can't do that deal. Uh, I, I'm not a micromanager, I'm not a control freak, but I have to be able to protect the integrity of the story. So right. I turned down four different offers to fund this $125 million film. And uh, ultimately, the uh, producer of Hacksaw Ridge called me up. A friend had tipped him off about it. He said, what's going on with the movie? I explained to him what I just said to you. He said, Martin, forget about doing the movie. Get the book to the top of the charts. That's when the investors will come to you. Since you own the intellectual property, you'll be in the driver's seat all the way down the line. So that's easy enough said, but it's not easy to do because it takes a lot of money and horsepower to actually launch the book. So ultimately, the Lord sent us an investor and backed us to get this national campaign, which is really going to full swing right now. So that's where things are at on the whole story. But the, the nuts and bolts of it is that this is just an amazing, compelling, interesting, true story that involves the guy who led the attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about this, Roger. For those people who remember Paul Harvey, he, he, I love yeah. this. He says, now I'm going to tell you 
the rest of rest the story. Of the story oh, yeah. I want to hear. <laughs> well, that's really what Wounded Tiger is. It's like we know about the black and white footage. We know about America won the war. But what were the Japanese thinking? What were they doing? What led them into this in the first place? And it's very, very interesting to see those things. And then to see the transformation of this guy who hated America, who ends up loving America, how does that happen? And I'm not talking about America in general, but you know, going from hatred to love. So the second plot line is a guy named Jake DeShazer. He was an American, joined the army, volunteers for the US Army Air Corps. His plane bombs Japan. Then they have to bail out over occupied China. He's got captured. He's a prisoner of war, tortured, solitary confinement. You know, I mean, he's seen his friends shot, die of exposure. It was just hell on earth for him and how his life changed. And then there's the Covells who are uh, highly educated teachers from Chicago. They go to Japan as missionaries and teachers. They love the people of Japan. They serve the poorest of the poor. But when Japan was ramping up for war, they realized, hey, we got to get out of here. They go to the Philippines. They send their kids to the United States. Those are the plot lines, and that's how it gets set up. But as it, it progresses, this the daughter of this Covell family in upstate New York, this girl, college student, transforms the life of Pachita by what she does. And I can't tell you that. Obviously, it's a giveaway. But right. how that all happens is like millions to one's odds. And that's part of the, the what makes it a compelling story. Martin Bennett is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Wounded Tiger is the name of the book, and we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com, the true story of the man who led that World War II raid on Pearl Harbor that changed our destiny, but also wound up having his own destiny changed as well. This sounds to me like a very fascinating, I know Karen Kingsbury has to do a novel out based on World War II, and it's a fun one to read. But this is one of those stories where you look at this and say, it reads like a novel, but it's actually nonfiction. Talk talk about where you ever in that situation where you said, I really need to bend this a little bit just to make it the plot line flow a little better? Or, or what did the story just kind of unfold and you had to capture it? Well, first of all, after I wrote the screenplay, screenplays are written in the present tense. John walks to the door. You know, it's all right. present tense. So when you on the on a screen, when you're watching a live action true story, it's all happening in front of you. So if you translate it to a book and you make write a nonfiction book, it just takes that dynamic out of the story of these things happened. They did this. They went there. He said that. It's like, I didn't like that. So I tried to find a format that would work better for me. I experimented. And then I finally came across a format called the nonfiction novel. This is what a man, an author named Michael Shera did for a book called Gettysburg. So what he did is he's telling a totally true story that's accurate and honest. But it's written in the format of fiction, so everything is dynamic and happening right then, there, and at the same time. So to answer your question, I did have to use artistic license, but the artistic license wasn't to put flying saucers in the Battle of Midway. I used artistic license to recreate conversations we knew took place. Then I submitted the story to uh, Japanese experts, historians, and at the at the the top of their their game, you know, people who are the most qualified people to critique the book. We went through it with a fine tooth comb. So what I put in the introduction is that the essence of every scene in this story is true. So yes, we had to recreate the conversation. It is not a word for word transcription. We don't have that, but we do right. know that these things did happen. This conversation took place. These three people were in the room, etc. So my artistic license was simply to recreate what's true and, and bring it forth. Well, first of all, for the big screen and second of all, for the book itself. So that's how we did it. But I did not, I did not, there's nothing put in there that's just cut out a whole cloth and put in there. Right, right. It's historically accurate. And then if you have to, you know, uh, finagle a phrase or two or some scene to make the thing work, we all know where they're going with it and you're not changing, you know, the the the, the story line at all. And that, that I think that's where the nonfiction aspect comes in. Martin Bennett is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Wounded Tiger is the name of the book. And we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. The true story of the man who led that World War II raid on Pearl Harbor that changed our destiny, but also wound up having his own destiny changed as well. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. What a powerful conversation. What a fascinating and amazing story today here on The Bottom Line. And I'm so grateful to Martin Bennett for joining me to talk about this and to talk about the movie too. And we'll keep that movie project in our prayers as well. Um, nice to see a story that has so much heart and so much passion um, also find its way not only into the big screen, but into the place where we as believers can read this and learn from it. The story of Mitsuo Fashida, who is the 
the, the wounded tiger, as it were. This is the guy who was the pilot who led the attack on Pearl Harbor. His life was changed by an American prisoner and by a girl he never met, became a man of faith. And it's just, it's truly a remarkable story. The book Wounded Tiger is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have a couple that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. By the way, buckle up if you are wanting to win this and read this. Uh, it's 600 pages. It's massive in terms of this, uh, the scope here. But it's 632 pages, I should say. But this is the third edition of the book. Martin Bennett's working on making this into a movie and has since updated it and uh, released this as a book. It's not, they call it a, non-fi- a nonfiction novel because the story is so compelling and it reads like a really great novel, but it's all true. And it's based on painstaking research that Martin's done. It's a tremendous resource. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we've got a couple of copies we're giving away of the book called Wounded Tiger, the transformational true story of the Japanese pilot who led the Pearl Harbor attack. And the book is linked at thebottomlineshow.com. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, we're going to take a little bit more deep dive into history, uh, the history of Pearl Harbor, of course, why it's important for us to get the facts straight and to know what they are, but then also to teach it to future generations. Uh, That discussion coming up next as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated. And Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Wounded Tiger is the new book by Martin Bennett. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Now, there are, there, there are things in this book that you'll find that you've never seen. Any, I mean, we're coming, this is the 82nd anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Can't believe it's been that long. Talk about, Martin, what you were able to put in this book, some of the things that you found, because you've been researching this for a couple of decades now to get to this point, have you not? 18 years, actually. So wow. do you have a copy of the book, Roger? I do. I do. Okay. So this book has over 300 photos in it, maps, illustrations. uh, There's telegraph messages. There's all kinds of documents, court documents. All these things are in the story. So on the one hand, it's written in in the format of fiction because it it, it reads like a novel because it is a novel. And then with the addition of these photographs, I've had many people tell me, Roger, You know, I felt like I was there while these things were happening. Mm, I've also mm -hmm. had a number of female readers tell me, hey, Martin, I never thought I'd read a book like this. I said, what do you mean like this? (laughs) Well, well, you know, war story, because it's not it's not about the war. It's not a war story, really. It's a character driven story, more like Unbroken was uh, with with that story. So this is a a very engaging story. And I've had multiple people tell me they read the whole 600 page book in a single sitting and they told others, they said, how could you not read it to the end? I had one guy tell me his wife was elbowing him at two o'clock in the morning, say, oh, my goodness, you're not going to believe this. It just goes <laughs> on like that. So it is a fun read. It's a compelling read. But it's also a constructive story that it shows you how Fuchita's life changed. It shows you what DeShazer did when he's in prison. He was just full of hatred. He wanted to just kill Japanese. And he thought there's got to be a better way to live. So my hope. Roger, is that as people read this story, even though it's about things that happened in the past, about horrible things they would never experience, they can apply it to themselves that said, well, if God helped them in their circumstance, I bet he could help me. Lord, show me the way. Mm, boy, what a powerful uh, story of redemption, as you mentioned. And Wounded Tiger, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, especially as we uh, approach this 
82nd anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And, and you wonder there's a younger generation that really doesn't have a whole lot of knowledge about it and and doesn't really uh, even care. I mean, it, it, because well, history is kind of happening all around. That's an interesting point, Roger. The less you know about World War II, the better the story is. Because if you know what happens in a particular battle, it's like, yeah. well, it kind of it's kind of a small spoiler. But if you don't know what's going to happen, it makes it even that much more thrilling to go through the stories. Um, so I've had people tell me, I've had dozens tell me it was the best story they'd ever read in their life. And I'm saying that honestly. I'm not saying I, I'm a great writer, but the Lord really wrote the story. I'm just the teller of the story. I collected the information and put it together. But the goal is that it will encourage people to give the Lord an opportunity to speak in your life. Fuchita wasn't seeking God. That's the interesting thing about his story. He, was, mm -hmm. he didn't care at all. He was seeking the truth. But if you seek the truth, you eventually end up at the doorstep of the Lord. Right. And it's interesting when you read about uh, uh, what Fuchita was going through and the fact that he wound up, you know, having a whole different perspective on the U.S. And and, and you know, we, we were a lot more multicultural. I mean, the lines are a lot more blurred uh, than they than they ever have been in the culture right now. And people seeing the, you know, the, the, the that we're all children of God because we're all created in the image of God. It doesn't necessarily mean that all of us are, are going to heaven necessarily. I know you had an interesting reaction to this book from Mitsu, uh, Mitsuo Pachita's daughter. I, I, talk about that, if you would, because I, I you know, I, oftentimes I'll look at the legacy of a ministry, and first thing I look up is, you know, the scripture that says wisdom is known by our children. Um, what, what, what's it been like for you with the family members who've seen this, who look at it and say, hey, you know what, you got it right, or wow, I, I learned some things by reading the story about uh, Well, it dad. was... I mean, I'm not an anxious person. I, I am not that kind of a person. However, uh, it was sitting on pins and needles when I submitted my book manuscript to the daughter of the guy who led the attack on Pearl Harbor. I don't speak Japanese. I don't read <laughs> Japanese. I had yeah. to get stuff translated. I was sometimes going on you know, third-person information, but I, I rolled up my sleeves and I did the best I, I, I could. I had to actually put myself in the mind of Pochita. What would he think if he were in this situation? I'm thinking, it was not easy. But the scripture says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. He gives everybody a set of gifts that prepares you for your calling. And God gave me the gifts I needed to tell this story the way it needs to get told. So when it took months, but finally I got a letter back from her. And she was just full of praise. She sent me, I guess, five, six, seven pages of handwritten notes about yeah. the story, about the book, about the information. And in one place, she said, Martin, I could really sense my father's spirit as I read this story. And I thought, okay, wow, breath of relief. And the same yes. thing happened with the Covells. Uh, Peggy Covell's brother, read, she was deceased at the time I was working on it. He read the script, which was the first thing I, I wrote. And I said, Martin, you've really got this story right. And I think, wow. Then Jake DeShazer's daughter also critiqued it. And she said, likewise, this is correct. And I'm thinking... Okay, sigh of relief. Now let's get this thing done. So yeah, I, I went to great lengths. I wanted to be honest. I wanted to present their life story accurately. <clears throat> I didn't want to create things that didn't happen because then people feel kind of cheated. If you're saying it's a true story and it didn't yeah. happen, they feel kind of cheated. And I didn't want people to feel that way. I wanted them to know that there's a reason why everything is in the book. Wounded Tiger is available now for purchase wherever your favorite books are purchasable. And we've got a link up at thebottomlineshow.com. Just a minute left in our conversation with the author, Martin Bennett, as we uh, uh, commemorate yet another Pearl Harbor Day. Uh, Martin, what's your hope? I mean, I know you thought cinematically initially, writing a screenplay. Now it's a 600-page, not novel, but reads like a novel, a nonfiction novel, I guess you call it. Yeah, it is. Uh, what is What's your what's your hope for this? I mean, this this sounds like it could be curriculum at a Christian school. This sounds like it could be a Bible study. It could it could be anything. What's your hope for this resource? Well, the title of the book is Wounded Tiger, and Torah, 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 the the signal sent back to Fuchia's flagship that indicated they had achieved a surprise attack. Torah, Torah, Torah is tiger, tiger, tiger. Fuchita was was born in the year of the tiger. And a tiger is a, is a gorgeous creature. We've seen them at the zoo. They're powerful. They have potential for uh, great beauty and, and accomplishment and achievements. And Fuchita had great aspirations for his life and aspirations for his country. But he was, uh, he was colossally wrong about everything. He was a, just a complete failure. And he destroyed his own nation, caused the deaths of tens of thousands of people. He was a complete failure. So he was a wounded tiger. So the fact is, 
when you see what happens, how God comes into his life and transforms his life and takes things from the past that were that were terrible and transforms them into something good and something new and changes him from a wounded tiger into a triumphant creature. That's really the theme of the whole story because ultimately everyone is a wounded tiger. We all have potential for great things, but we're wounded by our own wrong choices, by the choices of other people that we had nothing to do with that affect us terribly. And some people say, well, that guy is ruined for life. That's what the world thinks. And there's situations in Wounded Tiger in the story, you think, well, there's no good thing that could ever come out of it. Everybody's dead, you know, they're gone. <laughs> and then yeah. you see something happen like, how could that even be? But you see, wow, that's great. And I want people to take that away. Lord, show me how I can be a triumphant creature despite my circumstances, despite what's happened to me, despite even the terrible things I've done. God gives you a brand new start and he'll make you into that triumphant creature and that triumphant person that he always wanted you to be. Martin Bennett, the book is called Wounded Tiger. It's the fascinating true story of the man who led the assault on Pearl Harbor and what God did with his life in the aftermath of that uh, horrific and uh, and life-altering attack for so many people, millions of people all over the world. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Martin, thanks for the visit, and I'm looking forward to seeing this on the big screen at some point. Please keep in touch with us, and uh, we'll find out how we can track the movie's progress as well. But for now, excellent book. Thanks for the visit today. Thanks here so on much the for having line. me. Yeah, I'm definitely working hard. We're going to get the film done. Amen. Well, fascinating story indeed. Martin Bennett tells the story so well in the fascinating new book. This is the third edition of this, the newly updated World War II nonfiction novel, as they call it. It's called Wounded Tiger, the transformational true story of the Japanese pilot who led the Pearl Harbor attack. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're giving away a copy of the book today as well. 800-227-5278. Um, 800-227-5278. Eight hundred two two seven five two seven eight. the number to get you through to the bottom line. And we've got at least one copy I know of. We may have a couple more. Um, so I'm going to you know, put those out there. If we, we, don't, don't let the fact that we have one for sure discourage you. I know sometimes our bottom line show listeners are very polite. And I really appreciate the fact that you say, oh, you only have one copy. Well, somebody else can win it. That's fine. But if we say we got two or three copies, then the phones ring off the hook because it's like, I don't want to be the only one to take it. We've got at least two copies of this book we're giving away today here on this special 82nd anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, the story Wounded Tiger, the transformational true story of the Japanese pilot who led the Pearl Harbor attack. Uh, it's truly remarkable, and this is it's not a light read by any stretch of the imagination. Mitsuo Fushida's story, certainly worth noting. 800-227-5278, um, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. It's interesting, now that we see the war happening in Israel, and of course the New York Times headlines screaming, you can go see yesterday or the day before, Israel's mounting a ground offensive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Look, please understand, I, I know that there are those who are saying, you know, there are a lot of different mixed emotions with regard to what's happening in Israel, but I think there's a Japanese, there's a Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, World War II uh, parallel. There's also a 9-11 parallel as well. And one of the things that people look at when it comes to uh, Japan attacking the U.S. versus um, Israel being attacked by Hamas is how could this be? You know, I mean, the, the, how, how could this in fact happen? And CNN was reporting the other day that there was a dossier that has since been uncovered, um, several pages, I mean, a 40, 50 page manifesto that for all intents and purposes lays out how Hamas would attack Gaza, how they would attack from there into Israel, and how they would catch Israelis flat-footed if Israel didn't do anything. And Israeli, Israeli intelligence, which is among the most sophisticated in the world, basically, it's not that they didn't see it, they just didn't pay attention to it. And in the same way that the Allied forces, especially the United States, looked at the U.S. air fleet in Hawaii, all 200, 300 planes, whatever. They looked at the the uh, the battleships that were there as well. December 7, 1941 was just a calm little, you know, whatever day. The idea that this was somehow a sneak attack, though, is interesting because it depends on how you define sneak attack. The sneak uh, in the Japanese story was that everyone knew Pearl Harbor was there. And it's not like Pearl Harbor was an easy shot from Japan. I mean, in terms of 
theater of war and how close we were and how close they were, they really had to make an effort to get from uh, Japan to Pearl Harbor. It wasn't like they just, you know, we were right around the corner. But when you think about, you know, how this all went down, I mean, Japan, (laughs) World War II, we think of as September 1st, 1939, uh, Hitler invading Austria, etc. But remember, Japan declared war on China in 1937. The Nanking Massacre. Uh, It was just not a pretty picture at all. But there were all sorts of negotiations going on between Tokyo and Washington, D.C. during uh, the start of World War II. And, well, basically, um, they weren't able to get anywhere. Was Pearl Harbor an easy shot for the Japanese? No. I mean, when you and I take trips to Hawaii, if you've ever been to Oahu, you've seen the... uh, uh, the USS is at the Arizona, that's uh, that memorial. All the different battleships that were attacked. It's interesting because the, um, the, the thought was, would Japan ever attack? And the answer was, well, no. They, they necessarily did start the war with the attack. But remember, for the 2,000-mile trip that we have to make from the mainland to go to the Hawaiian Islands, the Japanese would have to go 4,000 miles. And this is 1941. U.S., but here's the key, though. The whole Pacific fleet was moored around Ford Island in that harbor, in Pearl Harbor. And there were hundreds of airplanes that were also squeezed onto the airfields that were around there. Um, It was, uh, history.com calls it an irresistibly easy target for Japan. But the question was, why would they do it? If you saw the movie Tora, 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 which Japanese for tiger, 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 which was the rallying cry for the Japanese, they, they, um, it, it's interesting because the final shot that you see in Japanese with the English subtitle is the, uh, it's either one of the pilots who survived, it might have been our, our guy Fuchido, or it's one of the other Japanese officials saying, we have awakened a sleeping giant. You know, kind of like, what in the world did we do? Most American intelligence, and they knew that this was a possibility. They knew that having all of the Pacific fleet harbored at Pearl Harbor, they knew that having the aircraft there made them a a potentially easy target. But the American intelligence thought there's no way they would come here when they could very easily hit one of the European colonies, maybe in the South Pacific, maybe the Dutch East Indies, maybe Indochina, Singapore, certainly not Pearl Harbor. And the fact that they went after Pearl Harbor looks really eerily familiar because of the fact that uh, we see that happening on December 7, 1941. Of course, FDR with the famous speech on December 8, 1941. Uh, That trips a lot of people up because everyone knows those lines, yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Um, and they talk about how the U.S. was attacked, et cetera, et cetera. Well, of course, he's going to tell us that. He's not going to tell the American people we had intel that said that this might happen and we weren't ready. Sunday morning, cruising around, no big deal, and bada boom, bada bing. And the next thing you know, here comes the attack and the casualties. Just after 8 o'clock, Japanese planes filling the sky over Pearl Harbor, the bombs dropping by 810 an 1800-pound bomb smashed through the deck of the battleship USS Arizona landed in her forward ammunition magazine and the ship exploded sank with more than 1000 men trapped on board as we mentioned earlier uh the USS Oklahoma 400 sailors aboard lost her balance rolled onto her side slipped underwater less than 2 hours later the attack was over And the USS Arizona, Oklahoma, California, West Virginia, Utah, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and Nevada had all sustained significant damage. Uh, The USS Arizona and Utah were eventually salvaged and repaired. So what was the impact of Pearl Harbor and what can we learn from it today? There's a very valuable lesson that we need to learn. We'll talk about that lesson coming up next 
as the special Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day edition of The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to the special edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Martin Bennett has been my guest. Of course, today is December 7, 2023. It's the 82nd anniversary or commemoration, if you will, of the bombing of Pearl Harbor by the Japanese. Uh, The story of Mitsuo Fuchida and uh, his transformation. Uh, One of the most gripping stories you will ever read. Uh, The book Wounded Tiger by T. Martin Bennett, who was my guest earlier in the program today. Uh, this is what we call a World War II nonfiction novel. Reads like a novel, but it's all true. 15 years worth of research. Martin's done three different rewrites of this book. This is the third edition. The book is Wounded Tiger, the transformational true story of the Japanese pilot, <gasps> pilot who led the Pearl Harbor attack. We've got it, the link for the book at thebottomlineshow.com. Got a couple copies of this book to give away as well. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. the number to get you through to the bottom line. The damage of Pearl Harbor, just staggering, of course. And what's interesting about said damage is the fact that um, we in the body of Christ, you know, take a look at this and say, boy, these casualties are just brutal. I mean, think about what would actually happen. You had 20 American ships, you had 300 planes that were in, uh, you know, kind of squeezed into one little spot. Uh, there were more than 2,000 people who died. 2,403 was the official death toll. And in addition, there were 1,178 people who were wounded. And there were also 129 Japanese soldiers who were killed. Half of the dead that day were on the USS Arizona. And if you've ever seen the USS Arizona Memorial at Pearl Harbor, it's just, it's really dramatic. It's very, very compelling. Um, more than two years after the start of the uh, official start of World War II, uh, the United States declared war on the European powers, just like they did in World War I. And we know what happened by the time August of 1945 rolled around the United States' final retaliation with a couple of uh, uh, hydrogen bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And uh, that effectively led to the Japanese surrender. But remember, this was the uh, the attack that could not have happened, should not have happened by any stretch of the imagination, or at least according to U.S. intelligence, they were looking for an attack in uh, the Dutch East, uh, in Indies or Indochina or uh, Singapore or something like that. They didn't. They thought they'd do something closer to Europe. They wouldn't travel 4,000 miles from Japan to Pearl Harbor and actually attack. But the fact that the U.S. intelligence was so unprepared for this, it's not that they didn't think an attack could happen. They didn't think an attack would happen. It's the same thing that happened to the Israelis recently on October 7th when Hamas had literally a year before this attack took place on October 7th, 2023, Israeli officials were alerted that this might happen, that they had a blueprint already in place and all they had to do was execute the plan. And the thought was, come on, Hamas is a terror group. They're so disorganized. There's much more of us than there are of them. We have the, you know, the Iron Dome that knocks out you know, missiles out of the air. There's no way we'll get attacked like this. And yet they did. And uh, still uh, trying to recoup from what happened. And I, I, I think the stung, the, the sting and the stun of the attack uh, will resonate with Israelis for quite some time. But people ask, well, should we, re, should we be supporting Israel right now? What about Palestinian Christians? Even Joel Rosenberg, you know, a great man of God uh, who's in Israel right now is pleading with Israel to let the Palestinian Christians go free. Um, I don't know how, at this point, I mean, I, I don't mean this to sound... Uh, you know, kind of dismissive, but I don't know how you separate Palestinian Christians from Palestinian Muslims, from Palestinian anybody else's at this point. They're all kind of lumped into the Palestinian category. I mean, we should be able to see that rescue, but will we see it? We're not, you know, only time will tell. But there's a part of the Japanese attack in the same way there's a part of the Hamas attack on Israel that um, that the those who were mounting the attack didn't take into consideration. Um, in the case of the U.S., it was military tactic. In the case of Israel, it's um, it's not so much a military tactic as it is a uh, uh, a spiritual reality. And on the other side of this break, I mean, we'll take a look at the the big difference. The big differences between why Jap- Japan's attack on Pearl Harbor ultimately did not work the way the Japanese were hoping. If they were trying to goad the U.S. into the World War II, then yeah, they were successful. But if the name of the game was to ultimately defeat America, they were ultimately not successful. And there's a big reason why they were not successful. 
the really simple reason is they took out how many of the ships that were there, the warships. They took out how many planes. They took out uh, 2,400 soldiers and wounded 1,200 others. I mean, prior to 9-11, that was the biggest attack on the U.S. And the attack on Israel and the casualties there, they, they call that their 9-11. But where the Japanese missed with the United States is something that they didn't take into consideration and we as Christians in the culture war should be paying attention. The Japanese took out the ships, but they didn't take out the aircraft carriers. The aircraft carriers, which are ships, which are floating, but also have the capability of bringing and transporting air uh, cargo uh, planes that can take off from and land on those ships. That's the new method of fighting, or it was for World War II. And the U.S. carriers were all out on other uh, maneuvers. So by the time they came back, they were ready to relaunch again. Let me talk about why that is significant for us as Christians doing spiritual battle. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. Special update from our friends at Preborn, especially here in the final month of the year. Good news is that the double matching gift is in place every day through the end of the month. That's the good news. The bad news is if you wait too long, you won't be able to take advantage of it. Now, Preborn has been offering qualitative health care for women who are in pregnancy mode for many, many years. And one of the specialties of Preborn, of course, is providing free ultrasounds for any woman who asks for one. When a woman comes to a preborn clinic, she gets a pregnancy test, she gets an ultrasound, she gets to see those first baby pictures of her preborn child, and then is given the information about the options available to her either become a mother, release that child for adoption, or yes, in states like California where it's still legal, abortion is on the table as well. But 85 times out of 100, a woman who goes to preborn and sees the ultrasound, winds up keeping the child or releasing the child for adoption. Your tax-deductible donation to preborn right now is doubled through the end of the year. So call 833-850-BABY today. 833-850-2229. A $28 donation provides one appointment. 140 provides five. 280 provides 10. And all of those numbers are doubled now through the end of the year. 833-850-2229. Or give a gift online at kbrightradio.com. Welcome back to this Pearl Harbor Day remembrance of the Bottom Line Show, that edition of the program. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to Martin Bennett for joining me earlier in the broadcast to talk about his book, Wounded Tiger, the transformational true story of the Japanese pilot who led the Pearl Harbor attack, the incredible uh, reversal of fortune for Mitsuo Fuchida after he led the attack and uh, what it meant for the U.S. in World War II and the lessons that we as Christians can learn even today. Um, I, I mentioned the, earlier before the break that J Japan's biggest miss on World War II was taking out warships and taking out planes for the U.S., but not taking out aircraft carriers because aircraft carriers were where the war and the military strategies were going. A boat that can function like a boat, but also as a landing strip so you can bring aircraft with you and they can take off from and land on there as well. That's ultimately what led to the U.S. success in World War II. As Christians, may we be ever mindful of the fact that the weapons of war in the culture um, and the distribution methods of those weapons are constantly changing. The good news of the gospel is the only thing that really matters, but how we present that gospel. Sometimes we're fighting a battle where we're saying, okay, well, if we could take out the enemy's airplanes, if we could take out the enemy's battleships, we'll be fine, not realizing that they've moved on to a different level, like in the abortion battle. People have been trying to shut down abortion clinics and stop uh, surgical abortions, but that abortion industry's moved into chemical warfare with pills. We have to be mindful of that. But also, as we look at what's happening around us, and there's a lot of consternation and hang-wringing and pearl-clutching with regard to the attacks on Israel, here's the thing that we as Christians have to remember in spite of the bloodshed. Israel's not going anywhere. Jerusalem is where God said Jesus will return to rule and reign. And Zechariah 12 told us hundreds of years before the birth of Christ that this is going to be the area where all of her enemies are going to stub. They're going to stumble. They're going to fall. So take heart and be encouraged by the good news of the gospel in spite of what you're seeing all around you. That is good news, and that's the bottom line. National Crawford Roundtable coming up next as the bottom line continues.